Today we're continuing with our Employing God's Gift series. This is the last chapter, chapter 12, called Cultivating Three Types of Biblical Fruit. Fruit bearing is a major theme of the whole Bible. Starts in Genesis 1, goes to the end of Revelation. Uh, because of that, I want uh, Jason to read a handful of scriptures from different sections of scriptures about the biblical concept of fruit to get us started. Genesis 1, 11, and 12. And God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Matthew 3.10 The axe is already laid at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Matthew 7.15-20 Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Matthew 21, 19, and verse 43. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, May no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Therefore I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. John 12, verse 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. John 15, 1 through 6, verse 8 and 16, first half of 16. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the world uh, that I, the, uh, the word, excuse me, that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine; you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him. He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you, that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. Galatians 5:22 through the first half of 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Thank you, Jason. Does everybody have an outline in a Bible to go with it? Now, we've been doing this series for quite some time. Those of you who are paying attention will realize that we never did chapters 10 and 11, but uh, that's because I took uh, way too long on chapter 9 and spoke about the gifts of the Spirit and what they were for several weeks. And uh, I really would like to start another series next week when all the right State students are back. And so... Uh, I'm skipping to uh, chapter 12. Uh, the reason I put chapter 12 last is simply this. 
the purpose of all of God's giftings in our lives, in the church, corporately, is to bear fruit. That's the reason he gives them. So uh, it's kind of interesting that because of uh, Western culture after the Enlightenment being kind of anti-supernatural and so forth, there's all kinds of debates about if the Holy Spirit is still active and alive and does things like he did in the New Testament today and these kinds of things uh, that frankly could, those kind of arguments couldn't have existed apart from certain mindsets that we have in modern times. But it's interesting that in those debates you'll get People say, well, the fruit's important. And others will say, no, the gifts are important. And the truth of the matter is, that's a little bit like saying, what's more important, your uh, cardiovascular system or your skeletal system? Or You couldn't live without a both, you know? So um, the, the gifts of God start with, if we, just by way of reminder, they start with the fact that there's what I call the general gifts. Everything is a gift. Your very life is a gift. The first work of the Holy Spirit in everyone's life is something that unbelievers are completely unaware of. Genesis 2, 7, God breathed into man the breath, the spirit of life. Do you know that no one would even be alive except by the active, ongoing work of Christ by his Holy Spirit? You'd be dead. <laughs> uh, Jesus Christ causes all things to be upheld and, and, and uh, to hold together by the work of his power. And he does that by breathing the breath of life into all of life. So um, we looked at categories of gifts in this series, such as the service gifts, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, helps and administrations. Those seven gifts listed in 1 Corinthians 12, 28 and Ephesians 4, 11 are gifts uh, that everyone has some of that are designed to be employed serving the body of Christ. That's been the theme of this series, that our gifts are undeveloped, underemployed, and a lot of it's because of our narcissistic culture. I always know that God's beginning to help someone grow when they start telling me, you know, I'm really selfish. And I'm like, thank God that God's helping you start to see that because it's, it's way worse than you'd think. <laughs> and, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and the cross of Jesus Christ has come into your life to begin to liberate you from that so that you can be restored to being someone who's in fellowship with God and who's thinking and, mo and motivations and perspectives are God-centered. And are, that are that you think God's thoughts after him. That's what we were created to be in the Garden of Eden. And that's what Christ is restoring, not only in the new birth, but in sanctification as we grow and as, in maturation as we are matured. In the things of the Lord, God is trying to liberate us from a self-centered and earth-centered and flesh-centered way of thinking and to be seated at the right hand of God in Ephesians 2, 6, and to think his thoughts after him and see from his perspective. Those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. Those who see from God's perspective. You know, the modern interpretation of Isaiah 55, when God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, people actually go, see, that's how it is. No, that was a rebuke of how it shouldn't be. Uh, our thoughts are supposed to be God's thoughts. Man was created to think God's thoughts after him and to see things from God's perspective. So, uh, the giftedness of apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, helps and administrations is to equip us to do God's work, the continuing work of Jesus Christ. If the book of Acts should actually be named uh, the continuing ministry of Jesus Christ from the Father's right hand, that is the seat of power and authority in the universe, by the outpouring of his Holy Spirit into his body, uh, and he is the head, filling his body by his spirit, directing them to continue his mission and his ministry. And it should look like his ministry looked in the Gospels, if it's biblical. So we looked at uh, those kind of things. We looked at the, what, the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit. We looked at uh, seven what I call gifts of temperament, uh, listed in Romans 12 and so forth. And uh, today I want to basically say that all of those are designed to bear fruit. Now, uh, as we, if you remember when we started this series, 
I made this statement. Uh, you'll hear a lot of things. You'll hear people say stuff like this a lot today. And, um, well, John has his gift of being an apostle, and Robert has his gift of, of prophesying and speaking in tongues, and uh, Susie has the gift of healing, and uh, Sally has the gift of love. Well, in a sense, that's true in the sense that all good things are gifts from God. Even the fruit of the Spirit is actually a gift from God. But what you actually just did in that statement is you mix different categories of biblical gifts, and love is a command and a requirement that is, that is born out of the fruit of abiding in Christ and the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Love is a fruit. We're commanded to bear that fruit. We don't have an option about it. But we, we do so by by having the life of God live through us. We cannot bear any kind of fruit in and of ourselves. There's no good thing that dwells within us apart from the, the grace of God producing the fruit. So what I want to look at is the biblical subject of fruit today. And I want to start by saying there are three types of biblical fruit. Now, that's an organizational scheme. You could actually say that the first two types are one type and they're in their subpoint A or B or something, if you want to organize it a little differently in your mind. But the first fruit I want to talk about is the fruit of God's character, the fruit of Christ-likeness, the fruit of the Holy Spirit is listed in Galatians 5.22. Turn to the back side of your page, and we're going to go, go through these. Um, Jesus said in Matthew 5.48, an awesome verse, he said uh, the goal, of, one of the goals of the Christian life, there's quite a few, but one of them is, he says in Matthew 5.48, be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's your assignment for this week. <laughs> uh, well, obviously, that needs some thinking. But we're, we're called to be like God is. You know, uh, something that I wish we had more, if we had what I'm talking about, internal perspective, you know, in 1 John chapter 2, he twice repeats a list of, of three different spiritual ages. He says, I write to you little children because your sins have been forgiven you for the Father's sake. Uh, he, I write to you little children, he repeats, says the same thing in a different way because you know the Father. And then he writes to you young men because they're strong and the word of God abides in them and they have overcome the evil one. And then he says, I write to you fathers, a person of spiritual fatherhood. He says, uh, because you have known him from who has been from the beginning. A spiritual father has eternal perspective and, and looks at things more eternally. Uh, I'd encourage you to seek God that you could actually live your life from the perspective of, I'm gonna stand at the judgment seat of Christ. And what I've done in terms of the kingdom is all that's going to matter at that point. So um, the first kind of fruit is basically uh, our inner attitudes, our inner motivations, and our character. Now, um, Galatians 5.22 lists that kind of fruit as being the fruit of abiding in the spirit of walking by the power of the Spirit. And if you sum up all the things about the Gospels, uh, one of the things that, that's required to do that is, first of all, you've got to, to recognize that Romans 7, that I have no good thing that dwells in me, that has to become your daily reality. In Galatians 2.20, Paul says, it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life that I live in the flesh or in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. If I live out of my own self-righteousness, my own self-power, uh, I had a long meeting with a, a young, young man, younger than me anyway, he's, uh, he's in his 40s, but uh, who basically, you know, the bottom line was he says, well, I, I live by my will and by my strength and by my wits, yet you, you need to give all that up in the gospel. 
you know, we all have this prideful tendency to overestimate ourselves, to live out of our own imaginations. And that, that's the essence of fallen man. You will be as God yourself, determining for yourself good from evil. A Christian is someone who says, I don't trust in me anymore. I have no confidence in the flesh. Philippians 3, Paul says, we are the true circumcision who worship God in spirit and truth, who glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. That's the gospel, right? That part of it. So when we're talking about the, the fruit of God's character, it can only be attained by letting God live through you and emptying yourself of living of your own, out of your own strength. In your own perspectives, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Proverbs 3, one of the, I'm sure, a lot of your famous verses. Here's a couple other verses. Luke 6, 4, 35, 43. Luke 6, 43 through 45. Luke's restatement of Jesus' statement, which Jason read to us. For there's no good tree which produces bad fruit. Nor, on the other hand, a bad tree which produces Good fruit. The truth of the matter is, is we live out of ourselves, there could be no possibility of anything but bad fruit. Now, it can look really good to the outside world. Lots of us have coping devices where we can look pretty spiritual and so forth. And in fact, I would say that, you know, the Greek word hypocrisis, come, uh, which we get hypocrisy from, was the kind of masks they wore in Greek theater and it's kind of that, uh, you know, you yell at your wife in the parking lot, and then you walk in the church, and, and, and you just, praise God, brother, I'm doing really good. And, and you're, you know, there's, there's uh, you're, who you are in private is not who you are in public. That's what hypocrisy is. You know, our lives are filled with all sorts of secret sins and so forth, but, but we're not in, in any kind of humility or honesty with one another. And I, frankly, I don't want that kind of Christianity. I don't want to be a part of that, no matter how successful it looks. There's no good tree that produces bad fruit, and there's, on the other hand, there's no bad tree that produces good fruit. For each tree is known by its fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they pick grapes from a briar bush. The good man, out of the goodness treasure of his heart, brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil, for his mouth speaks from that which fills the heart. One of the very most important principles about fruit bearing is that every seed brings forth its own kind. The seed is in the fruit. Gen and that starts in Genesis 1 in the verse uh, Jason read, let the earth spring forth vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. On the earth, and it was so, the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their kinds, and trees bearing fruit in, uh, in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Now, he goes on to create the animals, and they bear seed after their own kind. Guess what? Uh, we have a problem with feral cats. In, in the, when you live in East Dayton, there, when I came out of my house this morning and a big fat pregnant cat was right at my door and ran away. And I wished I could have shot it or something. No, oh, no, don't put, take that off the tape. <laughs> There's hundreds of them. But guess what? They don't get together and bear mice. Oh, the one good point they probably bring about is they eat the rats and the mice, I hope. But uh, <laughs> and I hope they're doing well at that. But the truth is, Cats don't bear mice, and dogs don't give birth to cats. Every seed brings forth fruit after its own kind. That's an immutable principle in spiritual and natural and every other kind of sphere. James 3, 17 through 18 says, The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy, and good fruits. If you're wise in the kind of wisdom that comes from above, that is, that comes from the kingdom of heaven living its life through you, that comes from your intimacy with God, it will be full of good fruits. So, unwavering and without hypocrisy, in the seed whose fruit and right is, is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. 
Secondly, the next kind of fruit is the fruit of good deeds. Now, there's, there's so many verses on these. By the way, you one thing I want you to consider doing this week, I, I, I wish I could give you an assignment and believe everyone would, would take it, but this is my recommended assignment. I would like everyone to use Bible Gateway or Blue Letter Bible or whatever Bible study tool you like, or if you have the eSword, whatever, or if you have an old-fashioned concordance, look up the word fruit. And uh, one thing I did that was very helpful to me is I looked up the word fruit by sections of the Bible. In other words, I looked up the word fruit and I, and I limited my search to the books of Moses. Then I looked up the word fruit and I learned, limited my search to the wisdom books. I did that with the major prophets. Uh, you can do that, of course, with the historical books, the minor prophets. I did that with the gospels. I did that with Paul's epistles. I did that with the general epistles. And I just looked at a lot of verses about fruit. Fruit is a major deal in the Bible. One of the things that will help you uh, is if you can get delivered from the modern uh, concept that came really out of the Reformation and evangelicalism today of thinking of Scripture as proof text to confirm our already preconceived paradigms and ideas, it can really set you free to understand God and His Word and His ways a lot better and frankly, if, you, if God does that in your life, your Christianity is not going to agree with a whole lot of Christianity that's going on in our culture. The reason you can know that is Jesus said, you're the light of the world. You instinctively look to turn a light on when you're in the dark at night. But the world is not beating a path to our door for wisdom. They're not saying, hey, teach us how to do marriage. They're not saying, teach us how to manage our finances, teach us how to do business, because we're not that city set on a hill that we're supposed to be. You know, we're supposed to be salt. If, if, if the church is salty, salt stops corruption. We wouldn't be living in one of the fastest free falls, falls of morals and character crisis that, that the world's ever seen, if our Christianity was all that real. And so one of the things I would encourage you to do is ask God to help you see the Bible more holistically and see it from major themes. And I'm suggesting to you that fruit is a major theme. It's a lot more than the fruits of the Spirit. In a few verses, we know about fruit. It's much bigger than that. Put it in its whole context. And that second aspect of fruit is the fruit of good deeds. In Titus Paul encourages uh, Titus. He's telling Titus, who is a member of his apostolic team and a disciple of his, and under his fathership and leadership, and Paul is Titus' spiritual father, calls him his son, just like Timothy and so forth. And they had gone through the Isle of Crete together and had proclaimed the kingdom of God, very different thing than how we share the gospel today, and as they proclaimed the kingdom of God and, and people repent, were granted repentance and, and faith and came to know the Lord, they, uh, form, they began to form them into communities of believers. But uh, because of various reasons, they didn't get to finish the work. And so Paul sends Titus back. And when you're reading the epistle to Titus, if you know that much about it, you'll get much, way more out of it. He's telling Titus how to grow a church. And he tells him seven or eight major things, one of which is to make sure that the people of God are engaged in doing good deeds. I don't know if anybody knows who a character in the Bible named Dorcas is, one of my favorite characters. Her name means gift of God. So she fits in this series pretty well. Dorcas was a lady who, it doesn't appear she was that theological. She's not noted for power, power gifts. She's noted for sewing and making fruit baskets and, and, uh, and serving in practical ways. Yet the, the, the Holy Spirit decides through the apostle uh, Paul's servant, Luke, <laughs> uh, to record Dorcas when she died they sent for Peter, who was in a nearby town, Joppa, to come 
to, uh, about 30 miles, he, he came and, uh, and, uh, and raised her from the dead. She was so valuable to the church that God wasn't ready to let go of her <laughs> at that point. And you know what? She was just engaged in good deeds. That was, she was a good deed doer, <laughs> basically, for Christ and in the church and by the grace of God. Galatians 6, 9, and 10 is one of my favorites. Let us not lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. Uh, I was having a talk with a young lady, Christian, this morning who encouraged me. Uh, sometimes it just doesn't come as fast as you think it should come. And sometimes you just need to continue to sow and be patient and so forth. Uh, you know, that's basically what this is saying. Let, don't lose heart in doing good, for in due time we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are the household of faith. Think about it. You know, the first message I ever gave in this church was just to my wife and my four kids <laughs> in our basement. In, in I, by, and I believe that God was ordaining this. I didn't know how important this message was going to be at the time. But it was really, it's been really important to me. But I gave him a message about Noah. And Noah started with his wife and uh, three sons who were married. And there was eight of them. And they built, and they only had the eight for 40 years. <laughs> you know, what's kind of interesting, I uh, have been friends with a number of people who've tried to start various church plants around the Dayton area and Columbus area and so forth. And there's actually a doctrine in church planning that if you don't like have 100 people in like six months or something, you should shut it down. And I'm thinking like, you know what? When I had kids... It took around 15 years to start getting some maturity coming forth. I can remember telling my kids when they were six, I'll know that you're starting to grow up when I don't have to remind you that trash night is Wednesday and that you take the trash out without being told. And by the time they were 10, 11, 12, they did it <laughs> without being told. And they remembered it. And, you know, we have this instant mentality and sowing seeds of good deeds. You know, in this church, I've, I've taught people to drive. Sydney's taught people to drive. People mowed people's lawns, What taught them how to read, whatever. You know what? One kind of fruit that we all need to be involved in is the fruit of good deeds. Who are you helping that's more hurting than you? That's, you know, what WizKids is about. You know, when's the last time you raked the leaves of an elderly neighbor or something? We need to be involved in the fruit of good deeds. And they may take a generation or two to even come to the fruition of what God has in mind for them. I cried a bit this week because I have a dear Christian friend who goes to another church and he's in his 40s and I've served him in a number of ways over the last 10 years and he called me and said my marriage is in real trouble and I couldn't think of anyone else I could tell about this besides you and I spent three and a half hours with him yesterday and uh, you know what I did never had in I never had any inkling of it. I never knew his wife that well. I, knew her, I know her a little bit. I know her, his kids a little bit. But I'd served him in a number of practical ways, even though he's, he's from a different uh, church and a different faith tradition, and he's uh, never thought of even inviting him to our church or anything like that. But you know what he said? He said, what? He says, I have a number of things that I need to confess that I've never told anyone and I think I can tell you. I'd encourage you to be that person for a lot of people. Whether they, you ever get to share with them about our church or the, maybe, you know, in this case, I did get to share with him quite a bit more of the gospel than he had understood before yesterday. And uh, I was able to 
recommend some Christian counseling outfits and stuff like that, you know. The fruit of good deeds, be involved in them. I love that, that uh, you know, you guys do the, the reading to the kindergartners. Uh, I love that some people in our church are involved in the Crisis Pregnancy Center. We need to all be involved in the fruit of good deeds. Who are you serving that's hurting, that it's costing you time, money, and even emotional uh, pain to serve them? And I really like that last part. Sometimes we need to be serving people that it's emotionally painful to serve. Um, those two, these, these are progressive, by the way. The third one is the fruit of reproduction. Now, those of you who are married, hopefully those of you who are single know that uh, when you're married, if you don't want to have kids, you have to do something proactively about that. <laughs> uh, the truth is, is that healthy people reproduce when they're in the right kinds of covenant relationships. We, we are working behind the scenes as elders, and John is going to be giving us a series on on what it means to be a member of Grace Christian Fellowship. We're working on that series, and I don't know when we're going to give that. But when you're in covenant membership together, it should actually reproduce. You know, every flower, every everything needs a seed, and it needs a pollen or a sperm or whatever, but it relationships reproduce. And God's goal is to have the, both the first two kinds of fruit before you reproduce. You know, as I've always thought the best way to honor Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled, is to make sure that we do what we can to make people mature, healthy, uh, having embraced many crosses and, and much character before they ever start courting. Because frankly, you know, there's this, God has one special for you. And of course he's sovereign, so he does. But on another level, two mature people can make a healthy marriage. Two immature people can never make a healthy marriage. And the source of all marital strife is immaturity. Uh, one of the things that I do more and more is when people have problems, instead of counseling their problems, I really start forming them in Christ through the, first through the gospel and understanding the gospel deeper, making sure our conversion has been full of Christ, and then getting filled with the Holy Spirit and learning how to walk by the power of the Spirit. Because frankly, no matter how much counseling you go to, you can't do it outside the power of the Spirit anyway. You know, you can have all kinds of good principles of how you should treat your wife and how you should be a servant husband and lay down your life and sacrifice and so forth without the Lord's grace and, and the cross of Jesus Christ and, and the grace that comes through you know, his word and his spirit and in, in the community and the sacraments and all the things that God gives us grace for, you can't love your wife sacrificially because only Christ can love her sacrificially through you. So... Reproduction, Psalm 127.3. You know, we make this big uh, disconnect in our culture, by the way, between the natural and the spiritual that the Bible doesn't make. God has always been having the word of God become flesh. He always wants to incarnate it. The best way to have spiritual children is to do a good job of discipling your natural children. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It goes on to say, happy is the man whose quiver is full of them. What, what's the metaphor there? Your children are like an arrow. In, in those days, you didn't go to the, you know, to the sporting goods store to buy your arrows. You made them. You formed them. You fashioned them. You determined the length, the weight, the type of point you're going to put on it and so forth. You're shaping an arrow to shoot at the enemy. What it means to bear fruit and disciple people is to, is, is to equip them 
to knock back the kingdom of darkness, to make them an arrow, a sword. Proverbs 11.30, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of, of life, and he who is wise wins souls. It's a very tough time to win souls in a really biblical sense right now. One of the things we're really up against is our culture has become more and more defensive, so it's harder and harder to lovingly challenge somebody. You first have to really invest in their life to the point where they really understand, I care about you, that's why I'm challenging you. Before you can, before you can really serve some people, you, you, people come from broken homes, broken relationships. Every day in the news, our politicians have one scandal after another. Every branch of government and the, and the whole, uh, the whole, um, what do you call it? The the fourth branch of government, the you know the whole. Um, federal, whatever you call it, bureaucracy is the word I'm looking for. You know, all of that, which of course isn't even constitutional, but it's grown up over time. All of that is so full of corruption. It's, it's scary. Uh, Wall Street, big deals of massive stealing and immorality and corruption. And God hasn't called us to retreat from that world. He's called us to invade it but in such a way that it doesn't conquer us, that we conquer it. Jesus said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you travel around the, on sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourselves. So what he's saying there is, you know what? Lots, lots of, er, frankly, everybody is an evangelist. I hate to say this, but when I was in high school, I worked hard at converting people to smoking pot. <laughs> I thought, like, that was my mission. I, I used to drive this one young lady that sat behind me. She was a nice girl, that didn't hang around with these kind of people. I used to talk to her in English class every day about why she should start smoking pot. No, I never succeeded, but uh, <laughs> thankfully. But uh, you know what? Everyone evangelizes people to whatever you are. You're going to try to sell them on your kind of music and your kind of views of politics and whatever. What Jesus is concerned about here is he's saying, hey, wait a minute. Before you go bearing a lot of fruit and reproducing, consider what kind of person you are and what kind of community you're about, you're in. You know, I say this all the time, and I don't think people really get it on the level we need to get it. Do you know that way more important than being a good parent? Way more is to have a great marriage for your kids' sake. A great marriage will help your kids more than even good parent skills. Because, you know, the, the acorn doesn't fall far from the tree. Spiritual, it's not just a matter of the environment they're growing up. It's a matter of the spiritual impartation that's in on their lives. 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, are you able to say this? Paul says, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. Hebrews 13.7 says, consider those who loved, led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the outcome of their way of life, imitate their faith, which means their lifestyle that comes out of their faith. Are you really able to say, hey, if you want to know what it's like to be deep with the Lord, to have a life of fruit and wisdom, just come hang out at our house. Spend time with my wife and me. That's, you know, uh, every seed brings forth fruit after its kind. Well, that took too long to develop that. I, I want to try to, uh, my, maybe we'll do one more week if I, if I uh, don't get to it. But Roman numeral five, there are five ingredients of cultivating all three types of fruit. I think I'm not going to even read the verses. You can read them as we go. I, all of you can read, I'm pretty sure. And uh, st start with a grace-based life. Part of conversion and sanctification is the face that, and or realize our depravity. 
In other words, every day you have to reorient yourself toward the gospel and the grace of God. We've already talked about that. It's no longer I who live. but Humble yourself every day and receive Christ afresh, not in the sense that you're, that you're born again again, but that you're living out of his power and you're not leaning on yourself. Blessed are the poor in spirit. You know, the greatest thing God can do to you is to let you crash. <laughs> Some of the most mature Christians I've ever met had the deepest character problems that came crashing down at one point of their life. Why? Because, you know what, so many of us are unteachable. We do, no matter what counsel we get, we do what we want to do and so forth. When you're poor in spirit, you won't be like that anymore. But God has to help you get broken. Start with utter dependence on the grace of God. Do you know that sometimes I, I, I watch people and I see signs of God resisting their life? Yeah, they might be doing good in some areas, get a promotion at their work or something. But sometimes God is really trying to get people's attention by frustrations in various areas. Why? Because he's opposed to our pride. And he gives grace to our hum humbleness, humility. And God, only God can take you there. Start with, uh, I love Hebrews 4. Let us draw near to the throne of grace in time of need. I start every day with saying, God, I'm proudful. That's not even a word, prideful. I'm, uh, I'm selfishly ambitious. I'm lazy. I, Lord, I need you today. Romans 5.20 says, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Um, boast before God in your sinfulness so that, you know, like Paul said, I, when I boast in my weaknesses, then Christ is strong in me. That's in 2 Corinthians, uh, so forth. B, I think I can get through this. Sow the, sow the right seed and cultivate the right soil. It's amazing how much the gospel Jesus talks about listen. Jesus over and over says, listen to this, listen to this. God the Father himself at several points in Jesus' ministry spoke audibly and said, listen. Jesus said, be careful what you listen to. Do you know that you're being discipled by the TV you listen to, the music you listen to? Everyone says, oh, I just like the beat and the melody. I, nonsense. There's a spirit on it, and it's discipling you. If you're not making progress in various areas, if you've got some uh, laziness or, or addictions or whatever thing is holding you back, consider that you're probably taking in poison. If you want to bear the fruit of becoming Christ-like, don't have devotions with uh, ungodly television shows or ungodly music. Don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. When you take stuff in, you're sowing seeds of thoughts, motivations, and attitudes. Sow to the godly things. There's no way to grow. I don't want to be performance-based. You have to start at grace, but it's the mystery of grace is that you have to unwrap the gifts. There's no way to grow without spiritual disciplines because good, good seed can't grow in bad soil. It can't grow without water. It can't grow without air. It can't grow without sunlight. You have to cultivate the character of God in your life. And you have to do it more aggressively than you thought. And really, you watch who grows and who doesn't grow. The people who grow go after the things of God in a hard way. Uh, the people who get stuck with besetting sins and don't grow and, and have bad attitudes and all that kind of stuff, they adamantly hold on to the things that are holding them back. Watch, read C.S. Lewis's book called The Great Divorce. There's so many of us that have stuff that has caused us to stay nowhere in God because we won't give up our favorite idols. I love the book of 1 John, which is a book 
about measuring your reality. The one who says this, but does this. The one who does this, but says that. And it measures your reality. And after five chapters of of trying to bring us out of the thing called the Bible calls self-deception, which is a major problem in life, and it's a major theme of the New Testament. After five chapters of trying to bring you out of self-deception into spiritual truth and reality so you don't think you're somewhere in God that you're not, he ends the whole thing by saying, my little children, guard yourself from idols. You know what? If you ever want to go very far in God, you need to have everything in your life like this before God. And if, if God calls you to slay your Isaac, slay it. He may give it back to you. He may not give it back to you. He may give it back in a short time, a long time. But, but don't hang on to things that God wants to take to the cross. The altar, Jesus said, which is it that sanctifies the gold or the, or the altar upon which the gold sets? The religion thinks the accoutrements sanctify. The accoutrements will never sanctify. We can have a nice building, communion, the right the right scripture readings, the right uh, sacraments. Uh, we can have the right discipleship and good disciplers and so forth. Until you're willing to take stuff to the altar and slay your Isaacs, none of it can help you. There's only life on the other side of the cross, and the cross is going to kill you. You want to know if God's trying to kill you? He really is. There's an old brother named Joseph Garlington that used to say, Lord, it's no wonder you don't have more friends the way you treat the ones you already got. How <laughs> um, we get this? You, you've, got to, you've got to listen. You've got to be careful about what you're taking in. You've got to take in spiritual disciplines, studying the word, worshiping, uh, solitude, whatever, whatever can help you break through. Thirdly, I've kind of touched on this already, embrace crosses, pruning. Now, this may make, when we read uh, in John 15, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he, he, he prunes that it may more, bear more fruit. The next line seems like it doesn't fit there in the English, Already you're clean because the word that I've spoken to you. But actually the word for pruning is the word for cleaning in the Greek. He cleans every branch that abides in him. When God's dealings come in your life, there can be two things. He can either take you away or he can prune you. And frankly, they look very similar at the start because real pruning, go, you know, you, there's not much left. Sometimes, sometimes God will take you through a, a season where he's of chastisement, where, you know, just everybody in your life is confronting you and you're, you know, you get in a car accident, speeding ticket, you lose your job, you find out that your uh, son is just robbed bank. What are you, sometimes you just go through the season, a season of pruning. Go to the cross, get all that God has for that. Abiding is number four. Uh, that has to do with spiritual disciplines, loving God intimately, so forth. Look at Acts 4.13 that I have listed there. It's interesting that when, when uh, they were in trouble with the Sanhedrin after doing the miracle in Acts 3, it's interesting that it says they observed them as having been with Jesus. You know, the, the, the Pharisees couldn't figure it out because they hadn't gone to the right Bible colleges. Is basically what the text is saying when it says they, they were unlearned men. You know, in other words, they hadn't gone to the, to, they hadn't, hadn't been studied under Gamaliel like Paul had. But they had been with Jesus. That's what John 5, 15 is all about. I, that verse has been kind of a theme verse of my life for, uh, well, 30 years now, exactly. You know, when in my own life, when I am deeply intimate with God, when I have lots of time studying the word, when I step away from the fun and distractions of social stuff, and when I press into God, my service to you, to unbelievers, to the Lord himself is better 
If I don't do that, my service is shallow, it's misguided, it's wrong. You have to go hard after God. That's pro the, probably the, the thing I struggle with most about what they call the millennial generation and the people under 30 is that they're so plugged in that they're not plugged into God. I have people tell me all the time why they can't spend time with God and why they can't read their Bible and why they won't press into any kind of discipleship relationship to grow, and, but they're busy with a million things. If you don't abide in the vine, you cannot bear fruit. You can't do, you can have compassion for the, the inner city poor and the lost and everything. You can do whiz kids, you can do all kind of stuff and it'll just be dead. If you're not spending enough time becoming who he is, understanding his ways, rethinking your paradigms, having your character shaped, embracing your crosses, and doing the things that'll cause his fruit to come through you. Uh, the rest, it's some people are just too busy. Well, I'm out of time. I really wanted to talk more about the last half of this message and then maybe I'll give it another week, we'll see. But uh, all three delivery systems of grace, you, you can measure, you know, ask yourself this question, where am I? Where are, what, where am, what am I lacking? You know, I, I interestingly, I, I work with people who are really into the word and theology and so forth, but they're super independent. I work with people who really want to be discipled and are really a team player, but they don't, really have many spiritual disciplines alone with God. And the truth of the matter, if, if you don't put all what we call the delivery systems of grace, the word, which not only includes studying scripture, but studying the theology systematically, studying it historically, uh, and things like that, the spirit going, you know, understanding that if we have the Holy Spirit, if it looks like the apostles, then we're on the right track. If it doesn't, we need to say before God, help me. I need way more of the Holy Spirit in my life. And frankly, the church in all its aspects, communion, teaching, discipleship, you gotta, you gotta have the full boat if you really want to go through these three types of fruit. And I, I just wanna end by saying that the first two types of fruit, having God's character, in you is the foundation. In other words, our, our whole culture is just this massive activity, which is what causes us to bear grapes or raisins and, and instead of grapes. What, you know, we, what we do is we have all this activity, but we don't take time to go deeper in the Lord first. And if we take time to go deeper in the Lord first, believe me, the quality of fruit will be way greater. Amen.